Amen. Well, good morning. You guys can have a seat. All right, a couple of you have at least had your caffeine. All right. Should be more excited. You got an extra hour today, right? I was up super early. I'm like, man, I didn't have to do this. All right. Nehemiah 4 is where we're going to stay, so we're going to pick up right in that passage. If you've been here, been working our way for the last year through a kind of a high-level view of the Old Testament, beginning in kind of the creation of God's people, even as they settled into land, as they raised up kings and became a nation, as they fell short of being the nation that God had created them to be, as God cooked them and order to get their attention, took them, allowed them to be, or even caused them to be exiled into Babylon, where he could regain their focus, their attention on being the people that he's created them to be. As he gets them to return, they return in these days. So we work through the book of Ezra, where Zerubbabel back a group of people, and they rebuild the temple of God. Really, this imagery of rebuilding the temple is all about rebuilding their worship. Ezra, whom the book is named after, then leads a second wave of exiles back. As he does that, they begin to rebuild their homes, focusing on the centrality of faith in their homes, that there is no greater priority than faith inside the family. And then we see Nehemiah, as we began a couple weeks ago, leading the third, the final wave of exiles to return back to Jerusalem. And as he does, they begin to rebuild the city walls. God is rebuilding the community of faith. Not only the physical city that they live in, the walls that keep them around there, but they're rebuilding what it means to be the community of God. That's where we pick up today. I want to give you a main idea. I know the computers are giving us a hard time this morning, so I'm just going to read it to you. Uh, our notes, by the way, are, all our notes are in the app. If you go down to a little tab, that says notes. So if you ever miss that, but it looks like we're main idea for today, opposition. As God's people do the work that God called them to, they encounter opposition both from others and themselves. We can expect challenges as we follow Jesus, right? Sometimes we're misled into the idea that when we begin to do the things that God calls us to do, that everything is going to go smooth, right? Do we ever feel that way? Oh, you know what? I'm back in church. Things are going to be great now. And I'm sure some things are. But then there's also the idea that we have an enemy that would like to take us off track, right? That there is evil in the world that opposes the church. And yes, Jesus is greater. Yes, the spirit inside of us is greater. But we are at a war in this world, right? As Paul says to the church in, in Ephesus, right? That there's a spiritual battle going on. And that that battle is against Jesus advancing in the world. So against the church, and so we're going to see opposition. We're going to see it in Nehemiah's day. We're going to see it in our day. And so as we watch, they're going to have external opposition and internal problems. We can experience that too. And so as Nehemiah helps them to rebuild the wall, we're going to keep talking in language of like rebuilding the church, remembering what it is that Jesus has called us to as a church. On Sunday nights and in our community groups, we've been working through the book of Acts, studying the church in Acts. Tonight, we'll be back here Starting at 5.30, if you want food, be here around 5.15, and we will work through it, right? We will work, not through the food, we'll work through the food too. We will work through, I believe we're in Acts 11 tonight, 10 or 11, I think it's 11. Anyhow, whatever we're doing, I better know, I'm leading it. So, so Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. 
Now when Sambalat had heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. Here's where we are. We met this group of people. Sambalat, there's others, Tobiah, Gershom. These guys that are not Jewish, they live outside in the surrounding provinces. Some of them have lived in Jerusalem, kind of crept their way in. That's part of the problem, if you will. But they're not there for the good of the people. It's not like they moved in because they wanted to be a part of that community and they're championing the success of that community. They're not worshipers of God and they mean bad for the people. And so when things start to go well, they don't like it. So they're angry and they start to jeer at the Jews. Verse 2. And he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up, he will break down their stone wall. So these outsiders begin to mock the people as the people are doing the work that God has called them to. But as we engage kingdom work, I'm just going to use that term kingdom work. If that's unfamiliar, Jesus says... In the beginning of his ministry, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? Turn from what you were doing. Join me in working towards Jesus' kingdom, his own kingdom. The kingdom of God taking root here on earth is what he's talking about. Yes, that's the kingdom eternal. Yes, that's where we'll be forever. If you're in Christ, you'll be in that kingdom forever. But it begins now. It began 2,000 years ago at the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Jesus brought the kingdom in his life and through his death and through his resurrection. And that kingdom is us being able to see the work of Jesus here, being able to participate in the work of Jesus here, seeing lives transformed here. And no, it won't be perfect. And yes, we eagerly await a day where there's no more sickness, right? Where there's no more talk of COVID, where there's no more cancer, where there's no more anything, even just talking to a friend this morning who lost his grandfather, I think he said like 98 years old. And we all kind of go, oh, 98, that's a really good life. But for the people left behind, they're still mourning, right? Still grief. Maybe he did have a great life. Maybe 98 years gives you lots of time to think about, hey, this could be our last year with him, with her. But then you lose them, it's still the same thing. You still lose them, right? We eagerly look forward to a day where there's no more loss, where there's no more death, where there's no more pain. But with that same eagerness, with that same enthusiasm, we should live in the kingdom and participate in the work of the kingdom, in advancing the message and people of Jesus. So this is our parallel as we see Nehemiah rebuild the wall, rebuild the community. We think through, okay, what does it mean to build this community for the work that Jesus has called us to? Verse 4 Nehemiah says, Hear, O God, O our God, for we are despised. <laughs> turn, back for their taunt, uh, turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Here's Nehemiah's prayer. Would you take what they desire for us and would you pour it out on them? It's kind of Nehemiah's opposite version of the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Instead, Nehemiah's like, do to them what they're trying to do to us, God. And don't forgive them and don't hold back, right? Can't we resonate with Nehemiah sometimes? 
right? Like it's really hard to be that person who prays for the good of your enemy, or you don't really have to have an enemy, but for the good of somebody who's not out for the good of you. And yet that's what we're called to, right? In this moment of being super, just very, very human and normal, Nehemiah prays this prayer, and I love his honesty. Like, here's what I really want, right? It's probably not the right prayer, but here it is. Would you do to them what they want done to us? Verse 6. I love what Nehemiah says here. So we built the wall. And the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Some major marker for Nehemiah and the people of God. They build the wall to half its height. Now, I don't know exactly how tall it was supposed to be, but I've seen movies of cities like this and heard as it was built and, and, and just kind of as we think through it, these are gigantic walls, right? Just several, several feet in the high, several stories up in the air, very, very thick. And so you have to imagine that built to half its height and joined together means it fully encircles the city and it's taller than a human, right? Not just me, but somebody normal. Somebody's tall, right? But it's kind of coming together. They've achieved something. This is a major marker. As they've kind of, as it's joined together, they have some sense of security. No, it's not like army ready. It's not like somebody can't get over it. But this is significant. You can't just walk up on it anymore. The pieces are all joined together. But I love what he says. The people had a mind to work. Right? This isn't because Nehemiah's a great leader. I think he is. But that's not what's going on. This is joined together amidst opposition because the people stayed focused on the work. So we'll put this up. Overcoming opposition. Nehemiah says they succeeded under opposition because they kept their mind on the work. So where are we focused as a church? And assuming we're not perfect, which I do assume, by the way, how do we correct our focus? Wherever we're off target, how do we correct that, right? How do we figure out what that might be? How are we off track to the left or to the right? So where are we out of focus or off track or have our sights just set off a little bit? Where are we not focused on the things that Jesus has called us to do, who has who's created us to do? And then, how do we adjust our focus to that? Verse 7. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that... I just threw that verse in there because every time Jana reads, there's hard words to read. And so I threw that in there for earlier. When all these people were repairing the, words, the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and they, to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. So the drama continues. There's more opposition. There's more reasons the people have to lose focus. They literally have enemies. I don't really feel like I have enemies in my life. I know I have people that don't like me or people that don't want the same things as me. There's no one out there I really consider an enemy. This is a very strong word. These are people literally that want to kill them, that would like to go to war against them. I guess in the national sense, we have people that want to attack our nation, do harm to our nation. I guess that's true. But they don't know me. And they're not laying awake at night thinking of how to overcome me. But here's this people group. Here's God's people doing what God has called them to do. To rebuild their worship, to recenter their focus on God in their homes, right? And then to rebuild their community. 
It's for the good of the community around them, but for their good as well. That God might be glorified among them. And there are people who, as that is coming together, want to oppose that. Who want to get rid of that. It says they potted together to come and fight against them. And I love, and there's just, not I love this line, but this is an important line. And to cause confusion, right? Sometimes confusion can be our issue. Unclear on the mission. Unclear on the purpose. Unclear on the focus. So they're outright plotting against them and what God has called them to do. I want you to see these next three verses. Verse 10. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. This is an internal statement. Hey, we're getting tired. There's too much work to do. There's too much destroyed. It'll never happen. There's that internal doubt and undermining. Verse 11. And our enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. There's outside trouble as well. There's enemies that want to destroy them, kill them, stop the work. So there's these internal kind of words that are kind of undermining them, pulling them down. There's this external opposition that goes on. Verse 12. And at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. These are the Jewish people. These are God's people that live in the surrounding communities. Jerusalem is a city. It's kind of the, well, it was the, uh, the center or the hub of Judea. At one time, all of Israel, before they broke into two nations. This was kind of the capital city. It is massive. But it's not everything. There are people that are Jewish, that worship God, that are their family members and friends, that are their people group, their ethnicity, their faith, all that, that live in the surrounding communities. And they come in. And Nehemiah says they said it like 10 different times. Hey, you should leave the city. The danger's there. You should come out to be with us. I just want you to feel kind of where they are in this moment. Their job is to do what God has called them to, to rebuild their community, their community of faith, right? Yes, their physical community, but it is a metaphor for rebuilding their community of faith as God has called them to a corporate calling, right? A, a, a group, a community calling. And as they do this, there are people inside saying, we can't do this. And there are people outside saying, if we have a chance, we'll kill you and stop you. And then there's people they love, people they care about, people that are like them, that are saying, listen, it's too risky, don't do it. Come stay with us, abandon the task. As we've listened to this, as we've thought through, or as we've taught through Ezra, the first wave of returning exiles literally gets stopped in a moment like this and gets drawn off track for 20 years. They begin to rebuild the temple and, a, and just kind of some pressure from the outside from some of these same people groups gets them to stop doing what God has called them to do. Gets them to stop rebuilding their temple, their worship. No king, no authority, no anybody said that. They got them scared. They got them confused. They got them pressured and they stopped. 20 years went by. And so the next time this comes back around, as Ezra's there, and they get some oppression, they overcome it. Now, Nehemiah's there. 
And they're doing something new that God has called them to do as they're rebuilding their community. And the pressure there is to stop. And I don't know if at any point in the, in the two books, which Ezra and Nehemiah were at one point two scrolls, but one book seen as one story. And I don't know if there's any time in this one story where the pressure is greater than this. The internal struggle. You all know that voice inside of you. Right? I remember uh, it was a few years ago when we did the first Team World Vision run. And we began to train for that. And I don't like to run. No matter what I was doing in life, school, military, sports, doesn't matter. You get in trouble, you run. Clearly, I had to run a lot. I was in a lot of trouble. Didn't do anything right, seems like. So I never got over that idea that running is punishment. And so I remember I would set off, and, and I wasn't bad at this. I, I did it. I was good at it. But from the third step or so on, I was fighting inside myself to quit, to not do this. I hate running. I used to make the joke that I'd rather train, train to fight so I don't have to run, right? I mean, I'd rather be better at this so I don't have to do this, right? But inside, I'll tell you, the battle is not running. It's inside me telling me to quit. That's the voice inside of them. We've had that in our faith, right? You can hear that voice just saying, you don't need to do this. You should quit. There's a battle. Sometimes the voices are external. We want you to quit. We want you to stop. If we see you. We'll kill you. We'll pressure you from the outside. And to top it off, people that love them honestly don't trust God enough to support them. They don't trust God enough to know this job is too risky. You should come to be with us. Don't worry about what God said. No, they're not saying that, but that's what it means. Don't worry about what God has called you to. Come be with us. I don't know if there's any other moment that's more pressure than this moment. So I want to ask this question. We'll put it on the screen. How do we encounter opposition? When we are doing kingdom work, what opposition do we encounter? Is it people? Is it fear and doubt? What challenges us to complete the work that Jesus calls us to? Now, kingdom work, we could call that kind of the corporate role of the church. We could, we could talk about being good neighbors in our neighborhood. We could talk about repenting of sin that God has convicted us. We could talk about anything, anything fits inside of that, that we, being a part of the kingdom, that us, when God convicts us of something, to repent of something, we, we might battle against that. Okay, that could, that could qualify. As a church, doing the things that God has called us to, as a small group community, in your community groups, as, as you, your family, in your neighborhoods, whatever it might be, what draws you off track, right? What opposition do you encounter? Is it people? Is it internal, external? What challenges you to, to finish the job that God has called you to? Maybe it's, maybe it's just even as simple as that, that step of coming to faith, right? Or returning to faith. The sense of I've got to give up what I'm doing or I've got to turn, I've got to surrender to Jesus. What is it that draws you off today? There's going to be some things that come out of these next, these next passages that we'll use as application just to answer that question. We're just going to talk about the word focus, just how do we focus ourselves, our lives, on what Jesus is calling us to. Verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I, this is Nehemiah speaking, stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Verse 14, and I looked and arose, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. 
Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Here's what Nehemiah tells the people. So he begins to station them by their workplaces. Now, if you remember from when they began this, each family kind of takes an area or each group of people, maybe with their sons, maybe with their daughters, whatever it is, takes a section. Sometimes it was near their house. Sometimes they didn't live near the wall. And so they went to a section that they, they took on. The priests are out there. The high priest and his family are doing things. The goldsmiths, the perfumers, people are working way outside their skill set. But they're all pitching in to do this. It's this collective responsibility for the community. And so as they're doing this, they encounter this opposition. And so Nehemiah keeps them in place, keeps them working. But he says, now listen, as we work, we're going to need to be armed. We're going to have to protect ourselves. So he says, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Right? And then he says, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. He reminds them of what is most important right now. Remember the Lord. Remember who you are. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember who God is in his power and majesty and might. And then remember what we fight for. Right? That we fight for our family, for our sons, for our daughters, for our homes. We fight for the people in our faith. We fight for the people that mean the most to us. We stay on mission because of the people we love. We're not just fighting for us. Jesus has secured our salvation for us. We're good, right? Jesus will keep us, but he's left us here for this purpose. And the purpose that we have is the people around us. The world that we live in, the people that we love that don't know Jesus. So here's the first Remembering what matters. Focus. Remembering what matters. Nehemiah, remember God. I just kind of put strength. And fight for their families. That's the vision. Our priorities keep us focused when opposition is all around us. It's God's strength to accomplish the vision he's given us. To care for, to reach, to fight for the ones we love. Right? Remember the Lord. Remember who we fight for. Verse 15, he says, when our enemies heard it, it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan. We all returned to the wall, each to his work. Again, they had a job to do. There's no need to get distracted. Now they've to add some things, but no need to get off task. They don't stop the work God has called them to do, to defend themselves. They keep doing the work. They remember the Lord. They remember who they fight for and they prepare. Verse 16, from that day on, half my servants worked on construction, the half held the spears, the shields, the bows, the coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. So they continue the work, but now they're armed. When they carried a load, instead of carrying everything they could possibly do with two hands, they carry what they can with one hand, and they're prepared with the other. And we have this image of continuing, but being ready for anything, right? That Nehemiah has prepared the people, that the people have prepared themselves, and the, the leaders are standing behind them. They're in this thing together, but the, the job goes on. Verse 18, it says, And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread. And we are separated on the wall, far from one another. 
In, this, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. He says, listen, man, this is a massive city. And this is a gigantic wall that completely encompasses the city. We're spread really far apart. The last thing you want in a battle is to be spread really far apart, right? You want to be together. You want to be strong. You want to, you want to kind of be in that community together. He says, but we have work to do. We're prepared for that, but we have work to do. So here's what we'll do. We'll put a trumpeter right here. And wherever there's a problem, when you hear the trumpet, you run to the trumpet. And tells the leaders, and the leaders are with him, and the people are with him. And the people continue to work, armed and ready for battle if they need. With a system to call them together so that they can remain at the work. So focus, the second one, community. Nehemiah has the people being workers and security simultaneously. Caring for one another over ourselves helps keep us focused on the community we serve. Caring for the needs of one another in our community over ourselves helps us remain focused or on task to what Jesus has called us to. They're not just there ready to fight if something comes through their section. They're listening on how they can be together with the others while they remain at work. They hear the sound of the trumpet. They run to care for one another. How do we stay on track? We remember to care for one another even and above and over ourselves. That the community becomes the vision. The community becomes important to us. That we would care for one another. Verse 21. So we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. Up to sundown. Verse 22, I also said to the people at that time, let every man and servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. So they decided we're going to all sleep inside the walls of the city. All the people, even the people that are working here, that are with us, that are us, but they don't live inside the city walls, they're going to sleep inside. That helps us share the security. That helps us care for one another. We're not as dispersed. We're behind the wall. And then Nehemiah just gives this, this beautiful image of how they're living. None of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Even as they rested, they stayed prepared. Right? That if anything happens, they're ready to fight for their community. Ready to fight for their people. Nehemiah 5, verse 1. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. Now there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. Here's what happens. A famine hits the land. Financially, people are struggling. Imagine, just like us today, just like we experienced over the last year and a half, almost two years now, when hard things happen... The people that are most vulnerable are the ones that have the least, right? The least financially, the least whatever. And so those who are poor are struggling to get through this season of famine. Those who have plenty 
have plenty. And so what happens with the people that are struggling, the people who are poor, is they begin to sell parts of their land, things they have, just so they can eat. It gets so bad that even after the famine and the struggle, there's also the taxes they have to pay to the king, and the king is, again, not Jewish, a king of another nation, so they have to continue to pay. And so they end up enslaving some of their kids, selling a child. And I know it's so foreign to us, more common back then, but not right, especially this setting. It's Jewish people that are buying the things from the other. They're not sharing what they have. They're keeping what they have for profit. You see a lot of that in a, in, a, in a struggle, any kind of financial struggle. Could be COVID, could be anything else, right? People that have a lot make more, right? They have that. And even if they're generous, they, they tend to survive and make more, right? We saw the rise of many businesses over the last year and a half. And the people that struggle, struggle a lot. End up losing a lot in that. And that's what's going on here. What it is really at the heart of it is people taking advantage of other people. Right? It's the Jewish people. It's the people within the walls, people within the community, people that are supposed to be God's people are taking advantage of other of God's people. Right? Verse 6. I was very angry, Nehemiah says. I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. Verse 7. I took counsel with myself. And brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. This language of I took counsel with myself. He's like, I had to take a deep breath because I was angry. Right? I took counsel. I had, I had to stop. What I was going to say first wasn't going to be nice. Right? I had to slow down. Then I had, it, what he, he says, and then I held a great assembly amongst them. He went off, in other words, right? Hey, listen, you're exacting interest. That's like loan sharking, right? You're loaning money for exorbitant amounts, for huge interest. You're taking advantage of the people who are in need. They don't have food. Of course, they'll say yes to this loan at a horrible interest. They, they have to. They need to eat. They don't want to sell you their child. They'll sell their land, but at a very low price. They have to. And you're taking advantage of them. That's what he calls them out on. Verse 8. Nehemiah says, And I said to them, We, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers and have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and, had, and could not find a word to say. Here's what's going on. Nehemiah says, Listen, we've been buying back all the Jewish slaves, all the people indebted to others, to non-Jewish families, we've been buying them back and bringing them in at our own cost. And now you're selling someone to them, making us buy them again. Like you're working against us. You're not just extorting them, taking advantage of the poor, the broke, the needy right now, but you're also working against our solution for the community. Verse 9, he says, So I said, the thing that you're doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations of our enemies? Shouldn't you walk in the fear of the Lord so that even outside see that we're different? The gospel is this story of being bought back by Christ. Right? That God created you, designed you, loves you, made you, and created a way for you to live, that you would live and give glory to God. Give glory to Him. We just call that living that life. 
worship, right? Far beyond singing songs and going to church, that everything we do should bring glory to God. That we should live in that way. But we all know that we do things wrong, that we do things that are opposed to God, that we sin, that we run the other direction from God, that we've broken the way we were made to be. That it was broken before we got here, but we've come along and added to it. And so Jesus enters into human history because God loves us, because God desires us, because God wants to be in relationship with us. And so God himself, he sends his son, God become flesh, comes in and lives the life of worship, lives the life the way we're called to, but we failed, he succeeds. And then he goes to the cross to trade himself, to trade his death as, as our penalty, as the penalty we deserve, but he's actually innocent of. And he dies for our sin, he raises from the grave new life. And then he resurrects back to heaven and calls us to this kingdom. That if we will place our lives in him, if we will submit ourselves to him, he buys us back from our sin. It's like Nehemiah saying, listen, I've, I've been buying everybody back out of their slavery. We've been buying them back so they can be God's people. Jesus has bought us back out of sin. That he has paid the penalty that we deserve. The penalty that we have brought upon ourselves to reconcile that relationship, to redeem us to him. He has bought us back. That we might, like Nehemiah did, bring them back into the kingdom, into the city. God has bought us through Christ to bring us into the kingdom. First Corinthians says it like this. You are not your own, but you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So glorify God. You were bought with a price. The price was Christ. It was free to you. It was free to me. But it cost Christ everything. It cost God his own son. It is not free. Grace is free to you. But it cost Jesus everything. You were bought with a price. You were brought back into the city. Into the family more. And now we get to do what the family does. You get to join the family business. We get to build the community. We get to love God, worship God together. We get to be involved. It says, so glorify God in your body. So remember him, the one who gave his life for you. Remember him, the one who bought you back out of your slavery of sin, of my slavery in sin. Verse 10, moreover, I and my brothers, Nehemiah says, and my servants are lending them money and grain let us abandon this exacting of interest. Let us stop loan sharking. Verse 11, you turn them to them this very day, their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, their houses, the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you've been exacting from them. He says, instead of loaning them money and extorting them on the far end, buying their fields and their stuff and ripping them off in the deals because you have the leverage, give it back to them. Just give it back. God brought you back here when you were enslaved in another nation. Remember, the story of God's people begins in Exodus, in Egypt, in slavery. Just like our story starts, enslaved to our own sin. Right? If you came to faith as an adult, it's probably clearer, probably harder to see that slavery if you're kind of raised in the church, but that indebtedness, that bondage to sin. Right? We all still know, we all still struggle inside, but we've been bought back. Nehemiah is saying, listen, how you've been treated, you who have much, now treat others that way. Give their stuff back to them. They're your brothers and sisters. They're us. It's like this room ripping off this room, ripping off this side of the room. He's like, no, stop that. 
We're all together. Verse 12, and then they said, we will restore these and require not from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priest, Nehemiah says, and I made them to swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. And so may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen. In other words, so be it. And they praised the Lord and the people did as they had promised. The people who have a lot, who have been ripping off the others, actually do what they're called to do. They actually give it back. Right? They actually say, okay, what we have is what we have. One of the most impactful things that we've seen in the book of Acts as we've been studying through it, both here every week on Sunday nights and then in our community groups, is that sense of community, that sense of unity within the community of the church, how they cared for one another. That's what Nehemiah is calling us to. That's what the the church, the early church, the first century church, the first two decades of the church that we read about, that's what it calls us to, to this sense of we and not I or or, or my. This sense of corporate commitment. So the people repent, right? The right response when God reveals that we're off track is to repent. Repent means return or to run from sin, Run towards God away from sin. And so God reveals to them through his servant Nehemiah that the things that they're living, though normal in the world, is not okay. That it's not okay to benefit off the poverty of others. It's not okay to rip off your friends and your family because you have a lot and they have a little and hard times have come. And so he calls them to this and you repent, they return They return the things back to them and they find a way to weather the storm together. I'm going to put this last slide on the Last way to keep focus is repentance. The people lose sight of what God has called them to and they begin to serve themselves. Our ongoing repentance uh, prevents replacing problems with new ones. With new ones that we cause. Now it's not just Arab, the uh, uh, Geshem the Arab or Tobiah the Ammonite that is oppressing them. It's not just their fears and concerns and confusion. Now it becomes people inside the walls with them. The only way to keep our focus when God calls us to a can we remember God is able, we remember our job, we remember why we do what we do. The only way to stay on track is ongoing repentance. Hearing from God, hearing where are we off track Remember the first question today. Where have we focus? It's not have we. It's where have we? Because we always lose focus. We always get distracted. We always get pulled to the left or to the right. But the great thing about that is that Jesus gives us that moment, that time, every time. Plenty of time for repentance. So today, if we hear his words, we're called to repent, to change to return to how he has called us to be. Will you pray with me? Jesus, as we gather, as we meet us, your church, we celebrate who you are. We celebrate that you gave your life to restore us, to buy us back from our being enslaved to sin, from our slavery to our own choosing You buy us back. You you bring us through the door. You return us to the family of God. You make us new. You've done everything necessary for us 
to be near to the Father, to be empowered by the Spirit, and to be transformed by your life, death, and resurrection. You've done it all. All we need to do is turn to you. Whether we've never come to you ever, and today would be that day, all we need to do is turn to you. Whether we have walked with you before and we've run away, if today is the day we return to you. For those of us that follow you every day, we still need to return to you, to turn towards you because we shift left and right. We get off center all the time. Forgive us and help us to repent. Help us to learn from our mistakes, from our sin, from our wandering away and draw us to you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.